couple of weeks ago, we started a series called What's in a Name? What's in a Name? And in this series, we're exploring some of the many names of our God revealed to us in Scripture. Uh, God is just one God, right? There, there are not, you know, many gods. There's only one God, but He's so multifaceted that He needs many names to try to describe Him and understand Him, uh, to understand His character and His nature. You know, it's the same thing for us. Uh, there's, there's a guy in here today, his name's Bill. But uh, I call him Bill, but someone else calls him Dad. And uh, someone else calls him Boss. And then there are some little kids running around who call him Grandpa. Each of those names reveals a little unique thing about Bill. Uh, I was talking to a guy before service today, and, and we were talking about the same guy, but we didn't know it <laughs> because he called him a nickname, and I was calling him his birth name. And, you know, what it revealed is that us two guys have a little bit of a different relationship with this guy. And because he worked with him for many, many years, he's got a nickname. He's referring to him, and finally I realized, oh, we're talking about the same guy. That's who you're talking about. But I know him as this name, and you know him as something else. Well, our God is so big, he's so multifaceted, that, that he needs multiple names to try to help us, again, just catch a little glimpse of this part of him or that part of him. And so far, we've looked at a couple of different names. But today, we're going to look at one of the names found in the Old Testament, and it is this, el Roe. el Roe. Or if you're from West Virginia like me, we just say it Elroy. <laughs> come on, somebody. <laughs> All right, come on. We just go Elroy. But Elroy or Elroe means he is the God who sees me. He is the God who sees me. And out of all the names of God that we're going to look at in this series, this name to me is one of the most impactful because this name is going to reveal such a thoughtful and tender side to our God that we might not always think about. I mean, he's God Almighty. He's the creator God. He's all-powerful. He's Jehovah Nisi, the God who fights our battles. But then today we're going to see him as El Roe, and this huge, powerful, sovereign God all of a sudden is going to zoom in and get uh, up close and personal enough that this God even knows our name. And as we explore the story today in the Bible text, we're going to see his relationship or his interaction with one woman who really, in, in her culture and probably in our culture, didn't deserve the attention of God at all, but she got it. Our Bible text is going to take us to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And in this book, we're going to find an older couple struggling with fertility issues. And in Genesis chapter 15, God speaks to Abraham in a vision, and he promises him a son that will eventually lead to a multitude of descendants. But 10 years go by, and guess what? No baby. 10 years, no baby. 10 years is a long time time to wait on anything. And in the waiting, he and his wife, Sarah, they grow impatient. So in chapter 16, they decide to do something. They take matters into their own hands. And Genesis 16, we'll just read a few verses here. Verse 1, it says, now Sarai, later known as Sarah, Abram's wife, Abram, later known as Abraham, uh, had borne him no children. 
And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. This is quite possibly one of the worst ideas in history. (laughs) All right, somebody say bad idea. (laughs) Abraham and Sarai have a promise from God that they'll have a baby, but they get tired of waiting on the promise. And anytime we get impatient, we make bad decisions. Can you say amen? That's a word for somebody today. Wait on the Lord. His plan is always, 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 always better than yours. Somebody say amen. amen. They got impatient. They made a bad decision. They devised their own plan B. Now, we covered their mistake in our last series called Mistakes I've Made, Lessons I've Learned. So we're not going to spend a whole bunch of time talking about their mistake this morning. But instead, I want to see how their mistake impacted this young lady named Hagar. Abraham and Sarah decide to use Hagar seemingly without even getting her input. They didn't ask for her input on this. Her, Her voice contributed nothing to this decision. They use her as a surrogate mother. She becomes pregnant, which is what they wanted. But of course, after she's been used by them, it changes the nature of the relationship. And can I just say this? Whenever we use a person for our own selfish needs, it never goes well. God created people to be loved, not used. Can somebody say amen this morning? So now Hagar is pregnant, and she blames Sarah, and things get really odd and really strange here in Abraham's house. And look what happens in verse 6. Verse 6, so Abram said to Sarai, indeed your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she, Hagar, fled from her presence. Hagar runs away because she's mistreated in the hands of Sarah. Let's talk about this woman named Hagar a little bit. In her culture, she had no value. She is a, she's a maid. Now, not like a businesswoman of today. We have businessmen and women here in our church who run successful cleaning businesses. That, that, that wasn't what she was doing. She's a slave, a female Egyptian slave who's, who's been forced into this position. And not only is she a slave, but she's a slave in the home of people who are supposed to love God. But as, as we know, even people who love God sometimes make big mistakes. And Sarah treats her so harshly that she runs away. She's a young lady in a pretty bad place in uh, life right now. She's been treated like property. She has no rights. She's abused. And now she's pregnant with the child of an 86-year-old married man. Y'all, this ain't no love story. No hallmark going on here, right? This is no Amish romance novel. This is sad. Now, we don't know exactly what Sarah did to her, but it was bad enough that this pregnant Egyptian slave with nothing, no rights, no money, no value, runs away into the wilderness. At this point, she's got to feel so alone and so abandoned. She's got to feel invisible. She's got to feel like her life is over. But there is a God, El Roi, the God who sees her. And look at verse 7. It says, Now the angel of the Lord found her 
by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Let's talk about this a minute. The angel of the Lord. Now, many theologians believe that whenever we read this phrase, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, this is the pre-incarnate Christ, okay? Uh, Listen, Jesus has always existed, right? Now, there was a time, you know, 2,000 years ago that he was born in human flesh through the womb of Mary, and, and, and that's what we read about in the New Testament, but he has always been. He's always existed. He's the great I am. But what we read here in the Old Testament, we see this phrase, the angel of the Lord. We believe that this is Jesus in the Old Testament. And so he comes to her. He finds her. She's run away. She's there in the wilderness alone, probably thinking she's just going to die there. And he says her name, Hagar. This is so powerful. Jesus is saying, I'm God And I know you. Now, it's it's not a big deal that he has the mental capacity to know her name because he's omniscient, which means it means God knows everything. It's not a big deal that he knows her name, but it is a huge deal that he cares enough to know her name. And he looks into the eyes of this young lady that no one really cares about. And he says her name, Hagar. He's saying, I'm God, and I know you. Looks her, looks her in, the, in the eyes, and probably for the first time in her life, as he uses her name, it's like he's saying, young lady, I want you to know, you have worth, you have value, you matter. Can you imagine what this does to Hagar's heart to hear the, the voice of Jesus say her name? That is awesome. He also says, Sarah's maid. He's saying, not only do I know your name, Hagar, but I I also know what you have been through. He goes on to ask her two questions. Where have you come from and where you're going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. I'd be like, say what? You want me to go back? You want me to go back to that mess? You want, can, you, can you imagine? You want me to go back? This is so hard for us to grasp, but I believe there are a couple of reasons going on. I'm speculating here, don't know it all. But I believe that God wanted her to go back to a place of pain for a season, number one, in order to provide for her. He doesn't want her to die out here in the wilderness. I also believe he did this partly so that Abraham and Sarah wouldn't be off the hook for the mess they made. Come on, somebody, make a baby. you got to raise a baby. Can I get an amen? It's like God was saying, Abraham, you're not getting off without taking care, uh, you know, uh, taking care of this child. You, you caused all this. You're going to take care of this child. And so God continues to speak to her, but then he also gives her a promise. One of the songs that they were singing, talking about how the word of God keeps us. And, and she, God begins to give her this promise. And, and listen, friends, there's always a promise even in the pain in our lives. Always. Always a promise. Sometimes you've got to look for it. Sometimes you've got to listen for it. But it is there. God will never walk you through a season of pain without giving you a promise to hold on to. The promises of God are like an anchor for our soul. 
You can get in the middle of a storm and things going crazy, but if you've got a promise or two, you can sink your teeth into that promise. You can plant your feet firmly and hold on to that like an anchor for your soul. And storms might come and winds may blow and all that sort of stuff, but you're going to say, my life is not going to fall apart because God himself has given me a promise. You've got to hold on to the promises of God. Verse 10, then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. This is really, really interesting to to me. Do you know that God gives her the exact same promise that he gave to Abraham? What kind of God would would make this promise to to the man that's going to be the father of our faith and then turn around and make the exact same promise to a slave girl with no rights, no money, no power, no nothing. That's an awesome God. That's a God who is no respecter of persons. Verse 11, watch this. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child and you'll bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. I love this. God says to this young woman, Hey, hey, Hagar, I know you feel invisible. Listen to Hagar, I know that no one hears your voice. Your voice didn't matter to Sarah. She she didn't call you in, family meeting, let's have a conference, let's talk. We we think we want you to be a surrogate. How do you feel about that? She she didn't get any input on that. Sarah didn't hear her voice. Abraham, he didn't listen to her voice. And and I, I believe the angel of the Lord is saying to her, you know what? Hagar, your voice doesn't matter to anyone else in life, but your voice matters to God. He said, for he has heard your affliction. And I just want to talk to somebody this morning that feels like your voice doesn't matter. Feels like your voice doesn't count. Just keep talking to your Lord. Just keep talking. God hears your voice. Your voice matters to him. You keep on talking to him and he will move on your behalf. His his word tells us that God's ears are open to the prayers of his people. And when you are ignored by others, you will be heard by Almighty. Then the angel tells her about her son's destiny. And I'd like to tell you it's all a happy story, but it's not. There are consequences for Abraham's actions. He conceived a child in direct rebellion to God's promise. And that rebellion is even going to be seen in this child. But here we have this unheard, overlooked, abused, seemingly invisible woman. She has this awesome encounter with God in the wilderness. And look at what she says. Here's where we're going to get this name. Look at what she says in verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. And again, I I hope you're using the gift of imagination that God gave you today. And just picturing this, this poor, pregnant slave girl out alone in the wilderness and God himself coming to her. This is this is amazing. Why? What? Why? I mean. Out of, all the, out of all the women or all the people in the world, God, God's going to come to her? Yes. Yes. That's the kind of God he is. And he comes to her, and, and verse 13 says, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also seen him who sees me. Oh, my, 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 my. 
God shows up in her wilderness. He calls her by name. When he calls her by name, he's saying, Hagar, I know you. I know everything about you. I know your story, Hagar. I was there the day you were sold into slavery. I was there the day that Abraham and Sarah used you. I was there the day that Sarah mistreated you and you ran away. He's saying, I know you're hurt. I know your pain. I know that you've been wronged. And one of the reasons that this story means so much to me is I know that there are people listening this morning and you have been through some stuff and you wonder where was God when this was happening friend I want you to know he was there he knows you he knows your story he knows your pain then and he knows it now you see God sees those who seem invisible to others he is El Rohi he is the God who sees never been alone you've never been alone Hagar had been hearing about this God while she's living in Abraham's house. Remember, she, she, she's, not a, she's not a Hebrew. She doesn't know God like they know him. But they've been, she's, they've been telling stories and, and they've been talking about the promise. And, and she's been hearing about this God. But today, in her wilderness, she has her own encounter with this God. And she says, I have seen him who sees me. This is just amazing to me. Do you know this poor Egyptian slave girl is the first person in the Bible to ascribe a name to our God? Before Abraham calls him Jehovah Jireh, Hagar says, he's the God who sees me. Before David said, he's the Lord, my shepherd or my deliverer, Hagar says, no, he's the God who sees me. Before Moses says, he's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner, this slave girl names him the God who sees. And not that he just sees everything. He is the God who sees me. Everybody say me. Me. <laughs> me. It's not just that God sees everything. It's that God sees me. Here's our revelation today. When the truth that this God Almighty sees us individually, when that truth becomes personal, like it did for Hagar, then it becomes powerful. We all know the scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? But the moment that that truth becomes personal, that you realize you're not just a person in the world, like God died for everybody else out there. When it becomes personal and you realize Jesus, the Christ, died for me, then all of a sudden, John 3, 16 is not just a verse for the world, it's a verse for you. And you can get saved. Your life can be transformed. The reason, how, how many in here, you're saved, you're born again. Raise your hand, come on. You've been bought by the blood. Do, do, you, know, do you know why that happened? <laughs> it's because this big, omnipotent, all-powerful God became personal to you. At some point in your life, you had an encounter with El Roe, the God who sees me. And I think that's really the point of this name. I want to say just a couple other things. God doesn't only see the wrong we do. I, I'm thankful for Sunday school. I went to Sunday school as a, as a little boy, you know, four, five, six years old. I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I got to tell you, I, I walked away from Sunday school a lot of times just thinking, man, God is just watching me 
under this magnifying lens and he just sees every mistake I make. He just sees every bad thought I have. He just, every time I don't obey my parents, every time, you know, I do something wrong. I mean, just be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, you know, just, just always thinking. And come on, let's be real. God, he sees it all, don't he? But he, he's not just watching when we mess up. Do you know when you walk outside and no one else is around and you look up and you see this beautiful Garrett County sky and you see the stars that he created and you lift your hands to that Jehovah Nisi. God sees that. Do you know when you're driving down the road and God puts somebody on your heart to pray for and you're just obedient, nobody else in the car, and you just say, Lord, I just want to lift him up to you. I just ask you to touch him. You know what he's going through. Lord, I, I want to pray for her today. She's going through a hard time. You know, God sees that. Do you know when you take these hands and you serve somebody, God sees that. Do you know when you, when you take some money out of your pocket and you bless somebody or you give an offering that nobody else sees? El Rohi, the God who sees, sees that. God is blessed by the times we obey him. Like when we're at work and the boss doesn't have to ride us hard to get our job done because we know that whatever we do, we are doing is unto the Lord. And we're a good employee, not because we're trying to get brownie points or get a bonus, but we believe God has given this is our ministry and and even though yeah we're getting a paycheck and and we're out here working in the world we're going to do it like we're working for God El Roe sees that one more thing I want to talk about is loneliness today in our world so many people struggling with loneliness uh, I used to think that loneliness could be cured by getting around people doesn't you're sitting in a room with four or five hundred people here today and some of us feel totally alone I think there's a difference between loneliness and aloneness something I, I think I've I've struggled with even as a, as a kid just just feeling alone As we look at these names of God, they're to help us understand Him just a little better. Last week we looked at Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. He's the God who fights our battles. The week before that we looked at this name Yahweh, which means He's, he's the right now God. He's the God of every generation. and So we can trust our kids and our grandkids into the hand of this Almighty God. But today, if you're struggling with aloneness, I want you to know he's God that sees you. El Roe. Not just a God that sees the world. He sees you. He sees our pain. He sees our rejections. He sees our shame. He sees our secrets. He sees it all. And that God pursues us. That God pursues the rejected. That God chases down the scandalous. That God gives promises to the abused. He's not just a God that shows up on a battlefield in the midst of hundreds of people in order to sweep in and bring a great victory. But he's also a God that will go walking in the wilderness to find a broken, invisible woman and say, Hagar, I see you.